This is Steve and Rob coming at you with episode one of the N64U podcast. Today's date is 10-12-2021, and today's game is Donkey Kong 64. This is a new podcast bringing to you all of your favorite N64 titles with an in-depth gameplay review and scoring. That's right, Steven. Yeah, we, we started this podcast with the hope of, you know, not only playing games that we loved throughout our childhood, but also discovering new games. And, and I hope that by doing this, other people might think back on games that they loved playing and maybe pick up, dust off the old N64 and maybe even uh, try some new games. I totally agree with you. I honestly think even for me, Donkey Kong 64 was not one of those nostalgic i played it all the time as a kid games for me this was actually a great opportunity with this new podcast to um take a peek at a game that i've never actually played before you know it's one of those games that came in later on the n64 scene um and i think as a result uh with it also being a lengthier game, I didn't give it the time uh, as a kid. And honestly, great experience to really go ahead and jump into as an adult and look at it a little bit more objectively. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I was a Donkey Kong fanboy through and through, like played all of the Donkey Kong Country games when those came out on Super Nintendo. And then when Donkey Kong 64 came out, uh, got that immediately and, and played it a bunch. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a fanboy, and you'll probably get that a little bit. But all of that being said, let's talk about how we talk about these games. Specifically, you know, some different categories that are not going to be surprising to anyone listening, I don't think. So uh, actually, our one of our first categories I'd love to start with is uh, mechanics. You know, I think that this is a very important element in gameplay in general. You know, it doesn't matter sometimes how good the story is. If if the game functionally doesn't flow right or isn't structured correctly, um, I think there can be a lot of drawbacks to the game itself. So mechanics uh, is how we're going to categorize it, is how the game we're structuring uh, or how the d- developers structured their game for for this. Yeah, and the, the, the next section is going to be the gameplay, which is very similar to mechanics, and it's, you know kind of confusing we even had trouble ourselves kind of trying to differentiate between the mechanics and the gameplay and basically you know if the mechanics are how the game is structured the gameplay is how you kind of move through the game structure as you uh, play the game you know controls and and all of that third we're going to be also looking at difficulty level you know sometimes you play a game you know it all depends on what type of mood you may be in. You may be into a game that is more on the harder harder side, takes you a lot of time to actually get through it. Sometimes you just want to play a mindless game that you find enjoyable and fun. Very important to me, I think, in judging the difficulty of the game, especially considering what the game is. So for a game such as Donkey Kong 64, you know, a story mode game, sometimes you might be looking for a harder game. Maybe one day we'll play a game such as uh, 
rush like a racing game where we may not be looking for the hardest game out there you might just be looking for mindless racing the rush series steven that's almost uh is that the podcast first spoiler alert whoa getting ahead of myself here right. over, over this right yeah baby all right so our next category is the story this goes without saying but it is all the dialogue. It is the uh, actual, you know, overarching story. Uh, really not much to say there. The fifth category that we're going to be looking at is also going to be visual presentation. You know, the N64 came out at a time where, technologically speaking, there was a lot of advancements made. You can see that from the games early in the N64 all the way to the later games, such as, again, Donkey Kong 64, one of their later games. You get all sorts of different uh, octagonal characters in a lot of these games, which is why I think anything that uh, looks more well-rounded in, in this particular past day and age, I think could make this a very interesting category as well, especially as it to re relates to current day. Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough when you look at the visual presentation of games that came out 20 years ago, because you really have to look at them in the sense of how they uh how they were at the time almost as opposed to you know obviously even one of the better looking games like donkey Kong 64 is not going to look good at all you know it's 240p game or 480 i forget which but it's not going to look anything like the games you play today and i think it's important to keep that in mind for sure i definitely think you know Keeping in that lens of what the 95, maybe a little bit later than 95, so let's say maybe 98 to uh, 2003 ish time range. Yeah, I definitely think the visuals, you got to know, you got to keep it with that scope for sure. Yeah. And, and in the visuals, we're going to talk about a lot of different stuff, such as, you know, the world design, level design, character design. So there's a lot of meat and potatoes there. And maybe we'll break that up more, have more subcategories as things go on. But that's how we're going to do it. And in that same vein, sound design uh, is our next category where, you know, we're going to be talking about the uh, background music that you hear or the sounds of the uh, the sounds of your apes as you're running around, you know, they're rolling around. What kind of sounds are they making? You know, like the, the character sound design as well. Our last category, which I actually think is the most relevant here for all of us, is uh, modern day appeal. You know, despite looking at some of these elements in the lens in which it came out in at that time frame. I do think you want to know whether you want to actually play this game in today's day and age. Um, so definitely we're going to review for modern day appeal, how well it translates to today's today's games. And uh, for me personally, I also think that means uh, playability, you know, how playable is it in, you know, 2021 versus 1999 or 2000, 2001, whatever. Yeah. Important category that we're going to go through in the sense that I think our hope is that uh, people listen to this podcast and that by listening to it, you might say, well, you know what, like maybe you're in Steve's camp where you didn't play Donkey Kong 64 growing up. Do you want to play it now? Well, a lot of people will will just straight up dismiss a game if it doesn't have the uh, the the modern comforts. I couldn't agree more, honestly. I, I really think definitely will be important to get, get interest going now. And, and I think this is a great reason to play games as well that you may not have played years ago. 
we'll play games we played as kids that we loved and make make sure it stands up as strongly today as it did you know 20 years ago or just a, a, fr- a fresh perspective fresh perspective sometimes could be really good here yeah i mean donkey kong 64 i played a bunch when i was a kid and i have not played it for you know over a decade so it was definitely interesting as it was almost like playing it for the first time you know because in my my old years my memory ain't working like it used to uh yeah so that's basically in a nutshell how we're going to look at our games we're going to score them for on a scale of one to five overall um each category will give them that individual rating and then we'll have an over overall combined rating for the two of us yeah uh and we'll keep track of our ratings as we go along so eventually uh we're both huge nerds so you know we got the spreadsheets and you know we got we're gonna have columns that you can filter you know we're it's it's gonna be outrageous you can't have fun unless it's organized into a spreadsheet as far as i'm concerned yeah (laughs) i couldn't agree more steven well on that note i'm actually thinking this might be a great time to get into some of the meat and potatoes of this particular game um you know i i think maybe we can start with an area, just generic, generic conversation of the game, uh, maybe some game development items we can go over first before we get into the, the hard uh, categories that we've sort of outlined for you already. Yeah, so I actually put in a little bit of research time just because I am uh, very emphatically interested in Donkey Kong in general that I really wanted to uh, do a deep dive and see what this you know, not not only how the game plays, but what went into the making of the game. Um, and I guess the most obvious fact is this game came out in 1999. Good old 1999, uh, released by Rare, who did a lot of really good video game development throughout the uh, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, N64. And then, you know, they kind of took a nosedive at that point. But they were known for making really quality stuff back in that time. I agree, especially at this point in time, you know, and even a little bit earlier to the Super Nintendo, I think Rare put out some of the best titles. I, I They're some of the most acclaimed titles like Banjo-Kazooie, which Rob, I know, is a huge fan of. And um, I think this is a good follow-up, or at least a good follow-up on the N64 for probably their biggest name recognition character in Donkey Kong. Absolutely. One interesting thing about this game is that it was, I think it was the very first game for the N64 to use the expansion pack. It was. It definitely was. Yeah, because they, it was initially going to be released on the N64 uh, disc disc drive, and uh, th- that project ended up not panning out too well. It was just a commercial failure. I don't even know that it was released in. The United States, I think it was only released maybe overseas. And because all of a sudden they don't have this new platform to use, they have to cram this huge game down into a smaller game. And for, you know, the frame, the frame rates to work out and, you know, rendering objects at a distance, uh, they needed to create this expansion pack, you know, a way to make the game actually work under these new constraints. And it ended up being used for a handful of games in the future as well that's that's fascinating to me honestly um it almost makes you wonder if in terms of like back in the day when they were actually planning to release release this with such a change almost why they didn't consider even potentially waiting because this was definitely from my recollection uh pretty close to the end of the lifespan on the n64 
So it almost makes you wonder how committed how committed they were, which were, which um, needed to make that change to be sixty four specific. You know, maybe instead of waiting all the way out into the GameCube, which I think came out a year or two later. Yeah. So basically. The N64 lifespan went till around like 2002, 2003, where I think Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 was one of the last games to be released, I think. That sounds right. Uh, But funny, you mentioned the GameCube. There were a slew of games that were going to be released for the disk drive attachment. And either three things happened. Either the game just development halted you know they they trashed the game yep they waited for the gamecube if that was possible for the development team or in this case they crammed it onto a n64 cartridge that's so funny so that that must have been a huge element in them actually doing that expansion um that i forget what it called the expansion pack that you had to purchase for the n64 interesting interesting yeah and uh this game was built on the the banjo kazooie engine as previously mentioned i am a a big old banjo kazooie fan so if you like banjo kazooie and you haven't played this game you're probably gonna like donkey kong 64 just because it borrows so much from the uh game playing mechanics as well as the as the sound uh which we'll we'll get into a little bit later um the you know, this this game was when we're talking about the development and the marketing. Like you, you got to talk about how heavily this game was uh, advertised at the time. I, I've read a twenty two million dollar marketing budget, which is somewhere around double what dev teams were getting at the time uh, to to advertise their games. You know, Donkey Kong was getting billboards and commercials and you know they had a supermarket sweepstakes partnered with dr pepper like a specific jungle green console that was bundled with it it, it they really like went all out for this one it, it's it's funny too and it, it, ma- it makes sense i mean it was such a popular title for them on their previous system at super nintendo doing this so late in the game on on n64 really I think it was it was smart to make that big of an investment because think about the gap between when when the last Donkey Kong game, a three game series, mind you, came out. And on top of that, too, they completely changed the the standard previous scroll format of the, of such a game. So it makes sense that they would really market it between the popularity from the previous game and add in the fact that they're going with a whole open world feel as opposed to scroll feel, you know, really, really making this a much larger game. Yeah, right. Well, the whole idea was that, and I actually, before I get into that, I'll just say that I'm pretty sure I read that this game was meant to initially be started as a side-scrolling game, similar to the Donkey Kong Country series. Interesting. But they ended up scrapping it because I think Mario 64... So in 1997, Donkey Kong Country 3 comes out. And in 1996, I think, is when Mario 64 came out. But that game blew up and the 3D action-adventure-style game was becoming like the most you know marketable and profitable type of game that you could create. If you weren't making that type of game at that time, you were not going to be making money, I feel. Every game at that point needed to be that type of... It was such a new genre back then. Right. It, it just it totally needed it. Yeah, absolutely. So so then, you know, they ultimately rare decides, you know, they're they got Bancho Kazooie. They they released that game and it is a, you know, a phenomenon as I remember as my 
12-year-old self. And, you know, they're trying to capitalize on that. So here we have Donkey Kong 64, which is supposed to be the crowning achievement of the N64. It's going to be the best thing that you've ever played on the N64 and will create this new high bar. I guess the question is that Steve and I are going to try and tackle is, is it true? Was this game all that it was cracked up to be? I think that's a that's a great step for us to maybe jump into some of the some of the categories and how each of us might have felt uh, where Donkey Kong 64 sort of where they hit the mark, where they fell short, where, you know, they maybe did too much. So I think maybe getting into the game mechanics for me, I think, is one of the most important mechanics, to t- uh, one of the most important categories to, to speak about. Those mechanics are important mechanics, Steve. I couldn't agree more. And I actually think in today's day and age, especially if, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about how modern appeal is such an important category for us, which I, I truthfully think it is because I do think a lot of these games are starting to come around uh, as we get older, re- replay, um, or they're recreating them for the Switch. I think the mechanics are very important because I do think the mechanics of today are far different than the mechanics we grew up with as kids. You know, to put it realistically, this this genre was still so new that the mechanics themselves, what worked, what didn't, nobody really knew at the time. And I do think Donkey Kong 64 in my first playthrough now sort of speaks speaks to that, that a lot of a lot of what they did was new. And they were taking a risk. Some of it didn't pan out, you know. I do find that for this particular game, there is a lot of items to be collected in order to advance. And I think mechanically speaking, the way I like to play certain games, I I find, you know, you do one or two tasks within one certain level, and then you move on to a boss, and then you move on to the next level. This game sort of had more of a collector's feature. And I know Rob here um, is a big fan of games where there's a vast amount of collecting. Uh, definitely more, definitely more his style. I do find there's a bit of a redundancy here between collecting not only the golden bananas to move forward, but you also have to collect each character's colored bananas. And I do think that leads itself to a little bit of, for me, a little bit of uh, repetitiveness. Another mechanic in this game that I actually think really needs to be discussed, and I actually think this is one of the one of the biggest factors in how I really looked at looked at this game and really judged this game. I actually think this this element had a big factor in how I felt about the game is the mechanics in actually changing a character and advancing throughout the story as a whole through changing characters. You know, current day you play a game and, and you just have such an ability to be in the middle of a level and a very, very large level and then quickly pause and switch to another character if you need to. Yeah, like games now have you know the path is generally unless you're playing some sort of open world game like breath of the wild games have a a straight path you know i think a lot of people really appreciate that about a game uh donkey kong 64 is like an arrow pointing in every direction at once you know the the level of backtracking that you have to do because you've come to a new you, you know you run halfway across the map with diddy kong and then all of a sudden you see some some purple bananas and you're like, well, I got to go run back and grab Tiny Kong so that I can grab her purple bananas. I got to say, uh, I'm with you there, Steve. That mechanic is 
is just straight up garbage. If you were able to press a a shoulder button and switch between characters on the fly, I think just that change alone would have made this game the astronomical masterpiece that Rare was hoping for. I, I actually, I could not agree more with you there because honestly, that element, the, I, I don't mind the open world backtracking to some degree, but I do find that even in terms of not being able to pick up that, like, like you have to be that specific character to pick up that specific banana. I think that does really hinder an overall good game. Um, including in terms of the gameplay. Like, I, I, I like the idea of having a lot of characters, a lot of, a speci- specifically a lot of unlockable characters. I think that is a great element to a game. I do find by how they develop, how you go about using those characters, how you go about collecting items, specifically just for one character, I do think takes a lot away from this game, which is really unfortunate because I think Overall, a lot of the stuff here in the decisions that they made to do, like even in terms of the characters to use with different abilities, I think was over- overwhelmingly positive. I just think the, you know, this is, let's say, an average 30 to 35 hour game for an average completion, let's say. I think this could be cut down easily without the backtracking down to a 20 hour game. Yeah, or the, you know, the collectathon aspect of the game where there are something like 4,000 collectibles in this game. Which is a crazy number to think because you don't you don't get anything in that realm of numbers, I feel like, nowadays. Yeah, and that's kind of where, you know, on, on top of the backtracking aspect of it, I think one of the biggest dividing lines for this game in terms of whether or not you're going to like it or not is the collectathon aspect. For me, and I know others agree, and I know many others disagree. The collectathon is awesome because it's like that immediate uh, dopamine release. You're like, oh, I got a gold banana. I'm basically the greatest living being alive. Oh, I got another golden banana. Wow. This like this high is never going to wane. That's kind of my feeling. And that kind of, you can see that a lot now in like, uh, like mobile games, you know, like the games are like designed to be that way where you are even like some RPGs, you know, like, uh, some MMOs, you, you level up your, your fishing. You're like my, my fishing, you know, take it back to RuneScape days. I just got my, my 20 fishing. I can now fish some salmon and I'm getting more levels. And it, it's just that like that chemical release in your brain truthfully like i actually i do actually agree with you there is there is an addiction level to certain elements of like having every piece of it right but at the same time it's also like very inundating for people who aren't predisposed to that kind of uh that that style of gameplay Mm. it's interesting too the couple of the mechanical issues we brought up you know, they're much more evident in, in today's world, considering a lot of these kinks have been worked out because games such as Donkey Kong 64 were made and made these mistakes before anyone else. And um, I do think, though, some of these criticisms were from what I looked into. It seems like some of these criticisms might have even been there back in the 90s when this game first came out, at least to a degree. Yeah, no, for sure. No, you're you're right. This this game was not was it was panned very uh divisively by critics where mm. it definitely didn't get that a plus grade that rare was hoping for yeah basically uh 
undermined the like ambitious undertaking that they were they were going for. Yeah, that's the thing is that I I do actually I agree. I actually think you can feel when you play the game that they were going big. Like there was a big ambition here to go big with this game, and I think that's partly why they might have made some of the back I, some of the those backtracking elements j- purely because they did make it so big and there was no other way to do it. I also think to a degree that some of these unnecessary like designs in this game I think stem from the fact that they were very popular on an older system, that Super Nintendo system. And I think you even when you play it in terms of like you have Donkey Kong Island versus like all those other maps that you go out from there. Doesn't that feel very much like how you sort of navigate the Super Nintendo version of these games? Yeah, in a sense, especially when you look at like Donkey Kong Country 3, they have that big overworld map. Exactly. You you know, you you have it in the first and second game too, but in the third game, you're literally hopping on a uh, like a jet ski and riding it up a 16-bit waterfall to get to the next area. So yeah, totally agree. I think um, next. I think maybe it's a great time to go into the next category. I sort of think you know we've talked a bit about the mechanics here because I think for me personally, I think this is my biggest factor on the score that ultimately I, I end up giving to the game. Just because I do think there's a lot of negatives here on an otherwise good adventurous game with a strong series title in Donkey Kong. Yeah, this is certainly the the most divisive category and sparked kind of the most controversy and is probably the biggest talking point about this game is the mechanics as well as the gameplay which uh let's get right into for me i felt like the gameplay itself was a lot of fun despite me not liking how you actually have to go in to obtain uh go in to actually uh navigate between characters I've always been a sucker where where Rob loves loves the the heavy collectible games. I've always been a sucker for a game that has a good unlockable playable character. Like even in terms of like my days back in the day when you'd go play w- random fighting games to unlock the bad guy that you could use as a playable character one day. I do think the idea of having unlockable characters that give you new elements in levels that you've already played I think is a fun concept that I've always enjoyed and I think they have that here. Yeah, when when you talk about all of the different characters and their abilities, uh, one thing that I noticed that I loved about this game was how the game is, and this is actually a, a pro for the uh, backtracking aspect as well, is that this game is very strategic. I, I would agree. I, I think there's a lot of strategy here. Yeah, if if you just like turn your brain off and just wander aimlessly, there's no way you're going to like this game. You to really get the most out of this game, you have to be like, oh, okay, here's a barrel or I can switch characters. I know there's a room back over here that has some red bananas and I'm going to get Diddy Kong and I'm going to go run back here. And then you unlock Lanky Kong and you're like, oh, now I have to go back. Yep. I have to go back uh, to worlds one and two before I unlocked Lanky Kong and step through those worlds. And you like, you're constantly, or at least I was, constantly building the roadmap of how I played the game. And it was very flexible in the sense that it could change, you know, as you unlock new areas, new characters. That 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 actually is a pretty good point as a pro towards the backtrack. I, I I will admit I am someone that loves forward flow, especially in, in video games. I love forward flow. I don't love a ton of backtracking. 
unless there's some sort of difficulty change. But I actually, I do think that is that is a relatively, it's a, it's a good way to start to use some of these characters that you have unlocked. Go back and be in an area they're familiar with. You know, maybe you saw something that, you know, couldn't ex- a- access before and it makes it a little more fun for you to go backwards. Yeah, and and one thing I would say that was pretty uncharacteristic for this era anyways is that this game can be done in a variety of of different ways you know you every level or so you unlock a new character but there's especially if you're going for a hundred percent and you have to go back say you know chunky kong's the last character you unlock if you got to go back to jungle japes or whatever the first level is you know you could do it right away or you know, you could decide to do it a little bit later and do all the worlds at once. There's there's a lot of different ways that you can tackle each world and how you collect everything, depending on what your goal is in the game. That's a, that's a, that's a really good point. It gives you a little bit of variety. You can mix it up. You don't have to play it. The, if you were to play it more than once, you don't have to play it the same way every time. I, 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 th- I think that gives it a little replay value, which is a good thing, because especially with these older games, it's like a lot of the times with these older games, you want to play them more than one time. Right. Now, in terms of this this isn't something that I'm sure would fall. I'm not sure if it would fall under gameplay or mechanics. But how the, how about those mini games? I, it's it's actually funny. I wrote about this a little bit before, but I actually believe that the mini games were some of the areas where I had the most fun. Like I, it was different. It was different. It was it brings in some of the old animal characters from Super Nintendo that they they. They let you reuse them in, a, in an interesting way. I actually really like that element of the game. Despite not liking a lot of repetitive tasks, this one felt less repetitive than, than some other ones to me. Yeah, you know, I feel like it was kind of uncharacteristic to see uh, mini games designed so well. Agreed. But I guess, I guess they kind of had to, considering that mini games are basically one third of this game so i'm glad to see that they were although they did repeat a lot of the games a lot they stepped up the difficulty each time and and actually i had a lot of fun with almost every one of the games that i had to play i i agree i actually think this was one of their stronger design elements here were the mini games because how many story games you have like this that have an incorporated mini game in it very few of any right Especially during this time, I can really only think of one other scenario where there's like a mini game section. It's like in Ocarina of Time when you do like the bow challenges or whatever. But no, I really like this, and it's something I don't think you see in modern games today that make this worth checking out. Yeah, not generally. Did you did you play the uh, the Beaver game at all? The Beaver mini game where like there's a hole in the center of the map and you you're one of the uh, clap traps and you have to uh, scare the beaver into the hole yep. and you have to get like a certain amount of holes, uh, beavers in the hole. That I think is almost uh, like a meme in terms of Donkey Kong at this point in terms of difficulty like and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later in the difficulty section but yeah man like that mini game was the only if I had hair it'd be the only thing that I would say was really pulling my hair out but other than that most of the mini games were uh, pretty great and but the thing is though and it's funny too and I, I and I wonder too if one of the reasons why they make one of the mini games that challenging Purely because I do think, you know, and this could be a good segue into our difficulty category, but I do think people like different difficulty levels in longer games like this. I think I think the length of this game allows them to have the occasional minigame that is near unbeatable, because I think someone that's invested 30 hours would sit there to get it done. 
Right. And that's exactly what happened with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, See, I know you really well. Yeah. Can't. <laughs> Kayla's in the other room and she's just like listening to me scream. No, damn, God, God damn it. Uh, just get in the hole. You stupid beavers. God. Like just losing it for, I think it literally took me an hour to beat that one mini game and get that one gold banana. And then in the, it's in the, the castle world is where you do like the harder iterations of beaver bother and you have to do it twice. It's, it's there twice and it's harder the second time. And you just, they're never going to make it easier for you. Yeah. But it really difficulty is kind of hard when you talk about a collectathon game like this, because are you trying to beat the game? Mm. Because if you're trying to beat the game, this game's pretty darn easy. You know, you can skip the golden bananas that are hard and just stick to the ones that are easier. And if you want the hundred percent, or in this case, it's the hundred and two percent, I think what you get for full completion, you got to play everything. And, and that means uh beaten beaver bother twice on the castle level. That's those are the type of mini games that separate the men from the boys um, in terms of uh 100% in the game. Funny you say that. Cause I didn't feel like a man i felt like a boy just kicking and screaming the whole time oh that that's good that is good what about um so speaking of difficulty how do you feel about the bosses in this game so i do think there was a sort of a pattern to them after a point i do think out the gate it really wasn't terror it, it was a little it was a little more difficult at the gate but i do kind of feel like it was almost uh formula formula form formulaic thank you that's the thank word you formulaic for, I it, it felt very formulaic to me it's almost like you know standard hit him three times with a barrel type of situation you're gonna blow him up he's gonna die have that instant cutscene. i do feel like to a degree this game had a formula in terms of their bosses though i did find them fun i think i like that type of boss and i do think that the boss battles specifically are very indicative to N64 boss battles as a whole. Yeah, it's kind of like the you hit the thing three times and then it dies. Exactly. It, it did very much follow the like formulaic uh, boss battles of the of the time. And I would say overall, I think that they were relatively well done. They did re repeat a couple bosses, which when I saw, I was like, ah, like that's kind of lazy. But I gotta say, my favorite boss was uh do you remember lanky kong's boss it was like the spiky blowfish in the center and you're in the boat and you're like you're in a hovercraft, yeah, right? the hovercraft. Yeah. that was so much fun like you feel the 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 tenseness of you know and the clock is uh is ticking and it's it's just this like really that like, is cool yeah i i, I love that boss fight and i think it was the best boss fight in the whole game, in my opinion. That one was a lot of fun. I also thought the, I think it was for Tiny Kong. Uh, it was like the Jack in the Box type bad guy. That one, uh, that one was fun. I liked that one. It was a little different. It also, too, is kind of just hysterical, like tr trying to make a dark concept on a Jack in the Box, like evil villain. I don't know. I thought that one was fun. It's funny you say that. I think that was my least favorite boss battle. Really? Specifically because, and we'll get into this a little bit later, or maybe not because I'm just saying it now, to get safely from each of the, the little 
platforms that you're jumping to, you got to do Tiny Kong's hair spin so that you get the extra bit of gap. And every time Tiny Kong does the hair spin, she does the wee, which just drives me nuts that they didn't record, you know, maybe a couple other sounds that she could make that weren't so jarring. So you're fighting this boss and just over and over every like five seconds. it cuts through you. Yeah, I couldn't even enjoy the boss fight. And I think that's actually a really reasonable penalty to a game. Like I, I can, I, I, I actually really agree that that's a huge drawback. You want to know it? Like the way you describe that is exactly how I've described for all you Ocarina fans out there. Navi, when she'd be sitting there, like hello, hello, it like cuts through you like that. Another thing about the difficulty is the arcade game the donkey kong arcade game that was a great throwback that you had to play those are other ones that i uh, how long did it take it took me probably like it took me over an hour to get the the donkey kong arcade and the jetpack i actually did like one or two tries that one wasn't too bad i would say the arcade game for me i would say probably around an hour yeah about yeah it's such a it's such a silly concept though like you need to beat that arcade game to and both the arcade games to get the n64 coin and the rare coin so that you can actually fight the last boss i think that was kind of a uh i don't know who made that decision it felt like a gratuitous way for them to sort of like congratulate themselves of like a long history of dk like does that make sense yeah yeah it's it's gratuitous in a pro as as a pro and a con where yeah it's gratuitous that it's a celebration of donkey kong and and nintendo but at the same time it's overly gratuitous in this almost in the vein of why so many people don't like this game exactly like an unnecessary uh, this is the problem i keep on coming back to and it it does come up in a couple different categories and i think you're bringing up a good point here this adds to it is time issues like Partly why I ranted earlier about the mechanics was was time issues. I think the 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 way the mechanics were di- designed caused unnecessary time in game. I think this exact, you know, I, I I think those are the biggest pullbacks to me for Donkey Kong sixty four. Yeah, and there were a couple other things that were kind of silly choices that actually had there were small choices that had pretty big uh, ripple effects in terms of difficulty. The monkeys can breathe indefinitely underwater. Which is unfair. Just, like, what are what are these monkeys? Are they like super super monkeys? Why are they breathing underwater indefinitely? Imagine <laughs> how the, how difficult the game would have been if oh my you god, had you a, had a, like a meter. bubble meter or something yeah. like that as you were swimming. It would basically render the whole underwater level. And it's not obsolete. like that mechanic didn't exist because it was available in Mario sixty four. You know, even games earlier like Sonic in Sega had that. Yeah, so I, I think um, I approached that I, I approached that point in a negative sense, but I think it was really great. Although it defies all laws of monkeys, it also uh, allowed the game to be a, a lot easier, and they allowed them to explore new depths. <laughs> but <laughs> you like that uh, when it comes to the level design? I like that. that. You know, that's a good idea. I mean. The other thing, too, is you don't want it to because you said um, Mario 64 must have came around the same time. And uh, it does feel as though this is stylistically similar. And maybe this is a good this is a good change to differentiate them from, you know, one of the other big titles on the system. Yeah. And I I think they they were, although this does sometimes seem like a Banjo-Kazooie clone. Mm. 
they were really trying to do new things, even if they didn't work necessarily. They were putting the effort in with the uh, like the barrel system and all yeah. that. It's completely unheard of mechanic, really, at the time. Mm. So, uh, what do you think about talking about the story yeah. of Donkey Kong? It's it's really it's a a real page turner. <laughs> the way I like to describe this one is. Overall, I really think this story was just your run-of-the-mill King K. Rule wreaks havoc against Donkey Kong and his friends storyline. You're not you're not jumping in this particular story to hear the in-depth like how King K. Rule was depressed and he had to go ruin somebody else's day. Uh, I think it was pretty much straightforward. You asked for a Donkey Kong video game, they gave you a Donkey Kong video game. Nothing adventurous went on here in the story, but you know, if you're into DK games, I think this is a perfect fit into the other three. Yeah, for better or for worse, it really fits really well into the uh, the DK universe. You know, we get Squawks, the parrot, right at the beginning of the game. And you're like, oh, I know that guy. And then you get the rhino and you get... The rhino's good. I always That was always a fan favorite for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The And then the swordfish. You you get him and, you're, and you get all the the Kremlings and all these other characters that were in all the other games. So in that sense, uh, they, they definitely capture the Donkey Kong universe perfectly. I agree. I think this is a great segue to talking about the story and the characters themselves is visual, visual presentation. I think one of the, one of the stronger elements here is actually, you know, there's a lot of different elements into visual presentation, but I think both the characters themselves, especially your, everyday average characters and including the bosses as well as the backgrounds to this game for an N64 game that came out in 99 so visually impressive for that system and in that era to the point of I believe it holds up well in today's standards in terms of an an older game I think it's one of the better looking older games I've ever played oh yeah it it looks so good and that was the point they wanted to have this jaw dropping uh you know, masterpiece of a video game to look at. And they have these huge expansive worlds, which is mostly a good thing. It's very, it's very impressive. The only I'd say downside is sometimes the worlds are almost too big for their own good. It's like having a giant room with one single chair in the center of the room, you know, almost like a little waste of space. Yeah. You know, they, they, they made it big for the sake of it being big. And sometimes, uh, you know, when you think of like Donkey Kong Island, it's such a big, big area, but there's so little inside of it. That is true. It's almost, it's almost like to a degree they designed it big because they could design it big. Not that they had a lot of like elements to go to in that bigness, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. They, uh, they they just went they went for it they went hard yeah I overall honestly I, I just I, I I was very impressed here I think this was for me one of the most impressive and and it's funny you say that's really where they invested you can tell you can tell very strongly that this is where they invested a lot of their time and I, I think I definitely think it was it is one of the strongest N sixty four visual games what do you uh, what do you think about the the level design itself in general. You know, like for me, for example, the first couple world worlds were, were kind of a bummer. Like you, you get the the jungle world, and yeah, you're gonna get the jungle world with Donkey Kong, but that was like kind of a bummer of a world. And it wasn't until I got to, you know, uh, then there's you know the the Aztec world, which was like fine, 
And then you get to the underwater world and it's like, holy crap. So this is this is where I've been back and forth about this. I actually think this game visually and, and why I like this, I think it's a slow burn. I think your your standard your your standard Donkey Island and stuff. There's not a lot to do, so I don't think they invested a lot of time visually on what could be done there. Though I do think their logic is backwards because I think I I think it, when you even get to the underwater levels, I do think that game becomes much more visually impressive the further you go into the game. Even in terms of like the ring battle with King K. Rule, I think that that whole design, his look, the the gloves, the 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 fight, the fighting arena. I think that looked visually impressive too. And I, I just think maybe early in the game, I, and I think they have it backwards here. I do think there was almost less of an investment in the impressive visuals early in the game. And I kind of question that decision purely because of the backtracking that they require you to do. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. It's like, you you want people to like your game. Why the heck are you putting all the good stuff at the end? I agree. I, I think, I don't know why they chose, like, I think truthfully, if you play through this game, I think you're going you're gonna to see there's more beautiful characters. There's more impressive background which in in my opinion i think i think all the backgrounding was done really well but there's more impressive of it as you get deeper in the game inherently some of these early levels which i felt like i was in forever in terms of the uh still on the topic of visual design what about like the characters themselves have we have we touched on that at all we spoke briefly about the bosses and then i just kind of glanced over some enemies in general more generalized but i actually think the are you talking more of the playable characters yeah, i'm talking like my boy donkey kong my boy diddy kong like one thing that i thought was super interesting and maybe this doesn't fall under visual presentation but the fact that wrinkly kong was dead and a ghost like, that was cool actually that was uh, it was pretty dark. I was playing Donkey Kong. So like leading up to this, I was playing Donkey Kong Country 1, 2, and 3, which was interesting that, you know, we ultimately land on this to be our first game to play because I was already stepping through the games and I was playing Donkey Kong Country 3 and I'm like, man, Wrinkly Kong looks good. She's like sitting there. She's like doing dumbbell curls while like birds are flying around her head and like is living her best life. And I was like, wow, this is... This is this is going really good for her. And then I played Donkey Kong 64 and I'm like, oh, she's she's dead. This is really <laughs> it's, a dark twist. It's those dumbbell curls that took her out early. Yeah, man. <laughs> Take naps. Put those put those weights down. That I actually thought that was pretty funny. I would say for the playable characters, honestly, and I'm not as in in-depth familiar with a lot of the Donkey Kong series. It felt to me as some of these characters were newer, some of these playable characters, not that I had heard of them before, you know, but they may have existed before. Oh, no, you're right. Um, Tiny Kong. That it, was the one actually that I thought was new. Tiny Kong was new. Some people might have mistaken her for Dixie Kong, who was in Donkey Kong Country 2 and 3. Because I was going to say, because I remember Dixie Kong. Yeah, so they're, they're cousins. So gotcha. like, uh Chunky Kong, who is also brand new, is Tiny Kong's brother. Okay. And their their brother and sister and their cousins are Dixie Kong and I believe Diddy Kong. I don't remember if Diddy Kong and Dixie Kong are uh are related. Interesting to go with a whole new character. You know, yeah. just like an interesting development choice. Yeah, they were trying to 
Um, my understanding is it wasn't supposed to be a continuation of Donkey Kong Country. They kind of want to start almost reboot the series. So they gotcha. They put, uh, you know, they don't erase Dixie Kong or um, Baby Tiny Baby Baby Kong. I'm trying baby, to think. Tiny do you remember Kong. Donkey Kong Country Three had the the like baby gorilla in its pajamas running around? That, That's yeah. getting deep into the Super Nintendo world for me. Yeah, that. So I think his name was baby kong maybe all uh, right oh and yeah baby kong sorry baby kong is dixie kong's brother oh okay and diddy kong is not related to dixie kong but yeah f for these characters i i don't think i i was much more impressed visually with the enemies the bosses in the background than i was the playable characters themselves now and i don't know if that's just more so just because it's like ah in any game, how often are you thinking about like what Mario's looking at? Like, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe me personally, I'm not really. You're just seeing the back of that character the whole game, you know? So I think to a degree, I don't really like it doesn't really affect. Like, I don't think they were impressive or unimpressive. You know, I think it was like a middle of the road for the actual look of the playable characters. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. They, I think the characters all had if there's something positive, I could say. The characters had a very distinct personality. That 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 is true. That is definitely true. I love probably one of the only things I like about the barrel system was as you're scrolling through the barrels and you know everyone you know you're you're about to land on Donkey Kong and he's like oh yeah pick me and then you scroll past past him and he's like oh man and then you go up to Diddy Kong and Diddy Kong's like, yeah, pick me. And then you scroll past him and then you go up to Chunky Kong and he's like, oh, no, 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 please don't pick me. The personality was like really well done in that, <laughs> that is funny. particular aspect. And I think the characters as a whole. And I actually think that lends itself to like the sound design of this game as well. Like little tidbits like that actually can make a, make a whole lot of difference. Like for you, gives it a lot more personality to the character with what like one or two sentence line basically yeah and you know if we're talking sound design how can we talk the sound design of donkey Kong 64 without talking about the dk rap <laughs> great starting point is it just me or is the dk rap the most 90s thing to ever exist it could not be any more 90s if you threw the backstreet boys into singing like for real like it is it is so 90s and it's really funny though and i i actually i like it a lot like i like starting out the like you want a donkey kong game we're coming at you with the DK rap and we're coming out the gate heavy Donkey Kong. <laughs> like, that's how I feel about that song. And I'm really glad that that's where you started with this. Yeah, that's like, it's it really is a smack in the face. Yes. And, you know, at this point, I don't even know. I don't remember what I thought about it as a child. I do know that I learned all the words to it to the point where it's like learning. I learned all the words to the, um, the pokey raps at the end of Pokemon. So I think I was just like, yeah, I, I think I was just very attuned to very poorly written video game and cartoon hip hop. So uh, I guess in that sense, they knocked it out of the park. I agree. I think that that was such a smart decision on their part. Like, I, I'm with you. A plus yeah. on the DK rap. <laughs> this is the official N64U nod of approval to the DK rap. Anyone who doesn't like it should probably just not listen to this podcast. Do you, I agree. How do you feel about that, Steve? I, I don't want him. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of the DK rap, though, I actually think, for me, 
for a game this long, I think the sound design is important. And I think it's the way I sort of have judged it was the in-game sounds were good, but they weren't overwhelmingly memorable. And um, additionally, too, I also think they do a good breakup of uh, different music per different level. Both of those factors, realistically, for me, for a 30 plus hour video game. Not memorable is what I'm looking for. And I think it's even even to Rob's point, talking about that sound that Tiny Kong makes constantly. Those kind of sounds in those type of games for that long of a game played game can really be a detraction. I think what where I agree with you is that the it's not necessarily the that the music isn't memorable. It's just atmospheric to the point where yes, it's it's there, but you don't realize it's there and it lends itself really well to creating this uh this this world yes you almost want like an like an ambiance like like a background of like you're not super into it but you hear it and it kind of sucks you in yeah and that's it's really um grant kirkhope is doing the the soundtrack for this and it's not uh so the guy david wise is it does the donkey kong country theme and you can tell that grant was trying to uh follow though in his footsteps in the sense of creating a cohesive ambient soundtrack because all the all the music from those old donkey kong games are very ambient as well you know i i it's the more we talk about it and the more we talk about each element and, and i think you bring up a great point with the sound here i do think a lot of the de development in this game a lot of these categories we even talked about are very reflective of the original Donkey Kong series. And I think they did a really good job here keeping it true to the series, so to speak, while still making a new game. Yeah, absolutely. Another interesting thing about Grant Kirkhope is he does Donkey Kong's voice. So he wrote... Oh! He, uh, it's kind Fun of... Fun fact. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when uh, you direct a movie, like uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton. Like, he's got he's to be the lead in his own play, right? It's, it's that same... That same vibe. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to be a character, be Donkey Kong. Yeah, right. To get into our final category, Modern Appeal, which I do think is one of the most uh, important categories that we have here, um, because, you know, it's all great talk about perspective, what it was back in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, but, like, are you going to play it today? For me personally, I did find the game to be enjoyable overall. I liked the gameplay. It was at a difficult levy that level, a difficulty level that i was looking for in this type of adventure i keep on saying open world that might not be the best way to depict it but this adventure open world style of gameplay the only issues that i really keep on coming back to all revolve around lengthy time issues and a, a lot of those tend to be in the mechanics of this game itself so i'm not a huge donkey kong fan i'm also not the type of guy that plays a game and gets a hundred percent every single time i like to get to the point of ending the game before i get too tired of it and i don't think i really became sick of this game at any point in time it wasn't my favorite game you know but i think for what it was very enjoyable donkey kong game fits an iconic character on nintendo and worth 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 the time of at least one playthrough I do think I probably would never sit down and play this game in its entirety on a second run through. Um, I'd probably play it spot spot here and there in the future, but I'm glad I played it on this first run through. And, you know, I didn't have any of that nostalgia effect 
you know, really clouding any of my judgment here. And I think just objectively, first time playing it as an older adult in this modern day and age, it was a good game. Just a lot of timing mechanic issues that I could see putting people off. Yeah. And for me, I really enjoyed this one personally. Uh, I alluded to this, but I am a Donkey Kong fanboy through and through. I, I love the franchise. Uh, I don't know why that is. I, I guess I just... I guess I just like monkeys. Maybe that's it. Who doesn't? Yeah, right. This is one of the best looking and sounding N64 games out there. And, you know, that does lend to the uh, modern appeal. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about are the warp pads. You know, when you have these old games with these huge giant worlds and you want to traverse, especially where we have a lot of backtracking and we have a huge need of quickly uh, traversing each particular stage, the warp pads are super helpful for, especially like when, when we talk about the, the strategic aspect of the game that we were talking about earlier, you know, you gotta, you gotta really be able to plan your route. You know, if you want to beat this game in a reasonable amount of time, especially if you want to get the hundred percent completion or the 102% completion, you got to move quick. So those warp pads are nice. It's a big improvement later in the game. Yeah. And it helps to offset a little bit in my opinion, the, the tediousness of uh, switching characters to the barrels. I think all in all, uh, I, I really enjoyed this game. I love the collect-a-thon games, especially the, one that, the ones that Rare were putting out at the time. I guess all I'll say is there's plenty to do in this game uh, for better or for worse. You're not going to be shortchanged if you went in and got this game and... and, and wanted to have a good time commitment you know uh, like sometimes you don't want to get a game that's only a 10-hour game why why spend the money on that type of game i think if you're going to invest in a game like this spend a couple bucks you're going to get your money's worth out of it yeah agree well steven i think we've arrived at the uh the very most exciting part and that is our our scoring of the game itself Oh, I, I, I love this part. This is my favorite part of the podcast. How could you know, Steven? This is our first one. So much prep work that I knew I'd love this part the most. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's us. Uh, it, this, this number came from a spreadsheet. We used formulas in a spreadsheet to derive this number. And I know that that's getting us and hopefully our listeners all hot and bothered. Oh, I hope so. Definitely has got me hot and bothered for sure. Yeah, I can see you sweating from across the room. <laughs> uh, I'm a naturally sweaty man, so it might uh, <laughs> might be a little skewed here. Um, but for me, for this particular game, each category, you know, we're scoring at one through five. And this gives me an overall score of a 3.1 I'm coming in with for Donkey Kong 64. My score ultimately averaged out at 3.9. And with that... Combining both of our scores together of 3.9 and Rob's score of 3.9 and Steve's score of 3.1, we have an official N64U score of 3.5 for Donkey Kong 64. 3.5. You know, I, I, I personally believe anything above a 3 is a strong, is not necessarily a strong recommendation, but I think a recommendation to play, especially if you're a fan of big titles, characters like uh, Donkey Kong uh, throughout the Nintendo world. So uh, I think 3.5 is a pretty fair representation of this particular game. I'm sure there are some people who would agree and possibly many more who would disagree. We're eventually going to have our 
sexy spreadsheet with all of our ratings available for everyone to look at, you know, if, if you ever want to look back at it. And we don't have that available for you to look at, but we will eventually. Coming soon. And also, too, you can check us out. We're going to be posting this on uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we can also, we would love to take any sort of uh, listener questions, whether you want a direct message on our Twitter or our Facebook account. Absolutely. Uh, to make it nice and easy, you know, wherever, whatever social media platform you use, we have the handle N64U podcast. And if you want to send us any particular complaints about how we droned on forever about a game that came out 20 years ago, or you want to send us any particular questions, feel free to email us at n64upodcast at gmail.com. This is Rob and Steve signing off from N64U. Have a great one, guys. Thanks for listening. Get in the hole, you stupid beavers!